A Song Can Change Your Life is made possible by a grant from the Fulton County Virtual Arts Initiative. Recognizing the therapeutic value of the arts and the need to support the creative community during the COVID pandemic, the Fulton County Virtual Arts Initiative offers operational support to enhance the art sector's ability to present virtual arts programs and creative engagement opportunities for Fulton County residents and visitors. A Song Can Change Your Life is recorded in the Black Box at the Alpharetta Arts Center, located at 238 Canton Street, Alpharetta. To learn more about programs and events at the Alpharetta Arts Center, go to alpharetta.ga.us and search Art Center or click the link located on our website, asongcanchangeyourlife.com. Hello, and welcome to A Song Can Change Your Life, where we talk with one songwriter, one-on-one, about one of their songs. My name is James, and we're coming to you from the Black Box at the Alpharetta Arts Center in beautiful Alpharetta, Georgia. Our show is brought to you by Home by Dark, the city of Alpharetta, Georgia, Fulton County Arts and Culture, and Arts Alpharetta. My guest today is Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame member, Tony Arata. Tony Arata was born in Savannah, Georgia, and grew up on nearby Tybee Island. While studying for a journalism degree from Georgia Southern University, he began performing his original songs in local bands. In 1986, he moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where his unique, soulful style began to get the attention of people like Alan Reynolds and Garth Brooks. Garth, to date, has recorded seven of Tony's songs, including the iconic The Dance which won Song of the Year at the Academy of Country Music and received both a Country Music Association and a Grammy nomination, as well as a Most Performed Song in Radio and Records magazine. He has had number one records with Patti Loveless, Leroy Parnell, and Clay Walker. Other artists who have recorded his songs include Emmylou Harris, Bonnie Raitt, Trisha Yearwood, Delbert McClinton, Don Williams, Reba McIntyre, Hal Ketchum, and many more. On today's episode of A Song Can Change Your Life, Tony and I talk about the very moving Here I Am, which was a number one hit for country legend Patti Loveless. Don't do it, darling. Don't you dare look in there. You said you didn't want to see me, that you've been looking for me everywhere. You know that you're going to find me if you keep on drinking fast. Cause honey, I'm right there waiting on you at the bottom of your glass And here I am And here I am I'm in the bourbon and the water That burn you just like a brand Arata, my friend. How are you, Jimmy? Welcome to uh, A Song Could Change Your Life. Welcome back to Alpharetta, man. It's so great to see you. Well, when I knocked on the door back there and you opened it, I went, well, I'm home. This is great. It was just so good to see you. Oh, it's been such a crazy, crazy year and getting to interact with you like we do most years playing music together um, is always a highlight of of the year. And with that gone, man, it's a... I really missed you. I've missed you too, and I've I've missed everybody. I mean, it was just just to be around the whole Home by Dark family, and it was just great. Well, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I guess. I hope. But I, I wanted to start today by telling our audience a story that, to me, encapsulates this idea that a song can change your life. That's not just a phrase. That there really is some power to it. And and here's one example in my life was um, almost exactly two years. It was November, I guess, of 2018. Uh, Garth Brooks did the first ever concert in Notre Dame Stadium at the University of Notre Dame where I went to grad school. That university means a ton to me. I'm very fond of it. And you facilitated tickets for my wife and I to go see him. And so we went up to South Bend and there's 80 plus thousand people in the stadium. It's snowing. It's cold. NBC is there to film a Christmas special with Garth. There's, There's amazing energy in the whole place. And I felt so lucky to be there because it sold out in like five minutes. And, and you were kind enough to, to look out after us and, um, and, and facilitate those tickets. And so I'm sitting there and I'm blown away by Garth. It was the first time I'd ever seen him. And 
truly, if, if anybody who's, who's, who is interested at all, even whether they care about country music or not, just in the, how to see somebody take control of a crowd, go see Garth Brooks. It's an amazing thing. So he does a mm. show. I'm blown away. The atmosphere is amazing. I, I, I feel so, so grateful to be there. And the last song he plays with his band um, in, in that crowd was The Dance, which you, which you wrote. And so on the second or third chorus, the band stops playing, Garth stops singing. And 80 plus thousand people sing your words. And I'm in, I'm in this historic place in this time in my life hearing those words written by my friend sitting in seats that was facilitated by my friend. And I'm hearing men and women, young, mm. old, black, white, Hispanic, singing your words. It was an overpowering thing to me For, on, on many, many levels. It was, it was that relationship I had with you and the university, the sort of setting and the connection. But also, even if I didn't have that, just to witness, to be in that space, when you hear 80 plus thousand people sing, it's an overpowering thing. And to be connected to that song was, it just hit me so, so strong. And it, it changed me. And, and it, was, it was an amazing experience. And I want to thank you for that. If, no. you, if, you were to, if you were to end our friendship to, for some reason today, I would, I would, I would be heartbroken. But I would, I would look back on that moment as forever grateful that you helped put that together for me, because it really did change me. Well, Jimmy, it's so so kind to, to tell me that, and I, I'm so glad you all had a good time. I don't think the weather was particularly cooperative. It didn't but, matter. You know, no, I don't think it, no, usually it doesn't with him. But, you know, I, I appreciate m- most of all you telling me that with the how big the crowd was. I mean, that song, as I, as I mentioned earlier, was written in a, the laundry room of our old apartment there in Nashville, Tennessee, and... Uh, on my wife's old guitar, my wife Jamie's old guitar. Uh, and you have no idea, I mean, how did it get from there to where you heard it? Yeah. And so many so many things had to fall into place for that to happen. And I've joked about it many times. I said, you know, if it, if it were as easy as just doing that, <laughs> yeah. then you'd do it every Thursday. Sure. You yeah. know, but it just doesn't work like that. And I guess I have to say this, I... Uh, I didn't. I didn't set out to accomplish that. I didn't set out to say, "Here's one that somebody's going to be singing in the stadiums, you know, 25, 30 years down the road." <clears throat> you just write the best song you can at the time. Sure. Um, and it and it met with resistance after the fact, even after Garth liked it. And so it's it was just one of those those things that was meant to be. The the gentleman who wound up producing it was also a songwriter, Alan Reynolds. Uh, is one of the, you know, everybody in Nashville calls him Yoda. He is, he's the guy that everybody worships what they think about whatever their work is. You know, if, if Alan likes it, it's good. So it was produced by a songwriter. It was sung by a songwriter. That's how I met Garth Yeah. Uh, at an open mic show uh, back in 86. It, it has a sense of divine providence to it, doesn't it? Because it, mm-hmm. it was so un, uncalculated. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure my story... There, there's, I'm sure there's similar stories mm-hmm. to mine for different connections throughout your life, and um, but it's a, it's a it's a mysterious mysterious thing, something from from nothing an idea is generated. This is the whole idea of a song can change your life. An idea hits you, hits a songwriter wherever he is, and he transforms this mm. emotion and thought into pen and paper and melody, and then. It just this, this stuff happens. Well, and uh, oddly enough, the song is about letting life play out as it will. That's the only way you get the true essence of of a life is to just let it, it. You have to take the good, the bad, and the ugly. You have to just let it play out. And uh, so it's about fate and about how if you change one thing, you're going to change yeah. everything. And then you take the song specifically and you remove the guy who sang it, the guy who envisioned the video, which was the same guy, yeah. the people who played on the song, who 
did that wonderful piano intro, the gentleman who produced it. Right. You take any number, any one of those elements out of it, and you we might not be sitting here having this conversation at all. Yeah. Uh, and so, and and none of that I had any sure. say in. It yeah. was just it just it happened. Yeah. That and that young lady that I mentioned, my my sweet mama, who when we moved to Nashville, I I, I joked with people. Uh, I mean, she she was a devout Catholic. She went to you know St. Michael's there on Tybee Island where I grew up every day. And when Jamie and I left for Nashville, she went down there every day and lit candles. You know, and uh, and it uh, it got so. Uh, prevalent in her life that one of the sisters finally asked her and said, Virginia, is everybody okay at home? And she said, yes, sister, you're very kind to ask. And she didn't want to tell the sister that she was praying for a little boy to have a hit, you know, in Nashville, because it <laughs> didn't awesome. seem the right place to do that, but uh, to be thinking of oneself or, or one's wow. children. But, uh, you know, so who knows? That that could have played as much a part in it as anything. Man, you know? I, who, who <clears> so, knows? But yeah, it was just it was a powerful moment for me, and and it's interesting to hear you talk about like the treatment of a song once it gets on recorded, etc. But the part the part of that moment that moved me was when the band wasn't even playing and Garth wasn't even playing. It was the it was the guy next to me that I didn't know from Adam and his little girl singing. That's so it's well, powerful. yeah, and you know it's funny you say that because I. I got a chance to actually play in Ireland some years ago, and uh, we played I don't know how many shows, and I never once sang the dance. I mean, I'd say, here's a song called The Dance, and wherever they you sing. were, if you were in a pub or a club or wherever you were, they the whole audience would take over and sing it. So I, I never got a chance to sing the dance in Ireland, but uh, fortunately, those beautiful people over there were kind enough to, to fill in the blanks for me. Wow. It was wonderful. You're listening to A Song Can Change Your Life with special guest, Tony Arada. I, did, I do want to dive a little, go backwards a little bit with you. You, um, you grew up on Tybee Island, mm. is that right? So what's life like for a kid growing up on Tybee Island? What's well, I, 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 sp- I spent what I call my formative years here. I mean, I was in high school uh, in, in, high, in Tybee. I was born in Savannah, Georgia, and then my folks and I and members of my family moved away for a while. And then we, when we moved back to Tybee, it was just me and my mom and daddy. And so I went to, you know, I went to school uh, 30 miles inland from Tybee in a place called Thunderbolt, Georgia. And Tybee was a great place to grow up. I mean, I'd, I'd, it was Savannah Beach when I was a kid growing up. And then they eventually changed the name to Tybee. But uh, it was like, I, I, the only way I can describe it is it's like any small town in America. It just happens to be right on the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And it truly is an island. There's one way on, one way off, and that's it. And if you are a, Tyb- a Tybenian, uh, the, the bar for what you can get in trouble doing is is really high. I mean, you you can get away with almost anything there. And uh, I did a thing. They did a, had a thing there called the uh, Tabby Island Songwriters Festival uh, about a year ago. A good friend named by the name of Sean Squires put it all together. And I was relating that story. I mean, I, where I played, the Post Theater was not even there. It was completely dilapidated when mm-hmm. when I grew up there as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then to come back and see it completely uh, put back in in uh, in use, and it's like any other it's like any other small town. In so far as everybody's, you know, uh, they look after each other. But uh, it also has that that hidden jewel that only a place that's like I said, it's got his chin stuck out every day into the ocean that they, they kind of look at life differently. And, you know, if you make it through hurricane season, then, you know, we'll, we'll fix that dock next year, you know, if we make it. And then when hurricane season passes, they just go, Oh, we'll get it next year. You know, so it's got a very laid back, very laid back. back. That's interesting because, because as long as I've known you, you've got, you've got that vibe, you know, you, you don't seem to be stressed out. Well, uh, it was, uh, I mean, it's it's such a great place for a kid to grow up. I mean, my gosh, you know, one, you don't, clothes are optional down there. And uh, 
so if you got a you know pair of bathing trunks and a and some flip flops, you're, you're you're good. You're formal. <laughs> you know that's a formal. And uh, but I I, uh, I had a great time growing up down there. And uh, uh, I'm then then of course you going into into high school. I the young lady that I wound up marrying was from an island not far from there called Wilmington Island. It wasn't quite the bohemian place that Tybee was, but uh, Savannah's such a beautiful coastal town, and uh, I grew up playing on River Street, and so... When did you start playing music? Was it in high school, or...? Yeah, I... I uh, it, when we moved from Columbia, South Carolina, uh, in the I was in the ninth grade, I guess, and I, I, it dawned on me I was never going to be a professional baseball player, I, but that just wasn't in the cards. And my brother gave me his old guitar, and I said, "Well, maybe I can do something with this piece of wood because I sure as heck can't do anything." Did you have with any it. interest in music before he gave it to well, you? Well, I mean, I grew up with older siblings, so I, I grew up with all their album collections, and so I was exposed to music my whole life. Plus, the fact I was the last child, and my folks were were a lot older than me. I mean, you know, they were very old when they had me, rather, and they were in the they were from the big band era. Mm-hmm. I mean, and. Uh, and then my sisters, of course, were all into the English invasion. And then, you know, my brother was very big into R&B. So I was exposed to it, but I never, I never considered it as a, as a livelihood, certainly. I enjoyed music like everybody else does. But I, I think uh, because I, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up down there hmm. on Tybee. Uh, and I, that? Well, it's just uh, I, the high school I went to was in town, so gotcha. I didn't really go to school. Uh, and it was it was a very small. I mean, there's only I think there's only at the time there were only 800 people that lived out on Tybee, full you know around yeah. the clock. Um, and I I spent the first summer we were there, uh, as I said, with my older siblings' album catalogs that they had abandoned over the years. And I think I had an epiphany that uh, that summer, uh, going into the eleventh grade, uh, and it, it hit me that these songs I was listening to weren't necessarily written by the person that was singing them. I mean, if you were listening to James Taylor, you know, it could have been a Carol King song, mm-hmm. or if you were listening to Aretha Franklin, it was probably an Otis Redding song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you you I, it, for whatever reason, a light went off that. Well, they had to come from somewhere. Somebody's singing them, but somebody had to write them. And then you start digging back through my my folks' old catalogs, and of course you got Johnny Mercer and that whole ilk that wrote, you know, Mercer and Mancini that wrote everything. You know, Sinatra That's was doing. Though, for a high school junior, that that because you didn't come up from a musical family, did you? No, my well, my father uh, was a great. Was a great singer. He grew up in a, a, a boys' home in Cincinnati, and he was always he. They had a great choir there. And my father, <laughs> my father Howard uh, H.P. Uh, was a trip. And you know, I I, uh, I can't remember how many times I would come home late from playing at the Novelty Bar down on Tybee. You know, I'd crawl in at about two thirty in the morning and five thirty. You know, the blinds in my room would fly open and. And Howard would start singing. Uh, my dad would start singing, you know, some big Episcopal church hymn or something. You know, right. bright in the corner where you are at the top of his lungs. Uh, and my mother's uh, of Irish descent, and you know, she grew up. All her all her clan played one thing or the other, not professionally. There was no there were no professional musicians in my family, and no no professional. Uh, my mother begged me to to. Uh, to take piano lessons, which I wish I had done, but I never did. Uh, but it was it was not. Uh, it was kind of a, just a slow burn, and I I, uh, I would I, I painted my uh, my folks' house. My dad said he'd give me sixty dollars that I, I knew there was a guitar at Schroeder's Music in in town, and he, it was a guitar and an amp and a chord, and uh, <laughs> that you could get for sixty dollars. Quality. <laughs> yeah, and so I said, and I was telling my dad about it, and he said, well, all right, you paint the house, and I'll, I'll help you with the guitar. And uh, 
So I, you know, that's how smart you are when you're 16 years old. You go, that's a pretty good return on investment. I'm in. I'm going to paint this house in the blazing Georgia heat for the next three months, but uh, I still have the uh, I still have the sales receipt. Uh, really? Yeah, my mama drove me down, and uh, it's her her beautiful penmanship on on the check that she signed uh, mm-hmm. and bought me that guitar from Schroeder's, and that was that was both the beginning and, and the beginning of probably, you know, of my undoing. I mean, I never came out of the room after that. This, I, this was high school? It was high school. Yeah. And so I uh, had an old turntable that my brother had left, and uh, I would just spin records and play along with them, mm-hmm. or what I thought was yeah. playing along with yeah. them. Uh, and then started noodling on on trying to write songs. And uh, I, there's not a songwriter alive who would ever say that, you know, my first ones were the best. You know, that's just not the case. And thank God, they usually get lost in one move or the other. Yeah. Uh, but I, I started writing and wrote all through high school, uh, all through college, and wound up when I when I finally went to college at Georgia Southern College at the time, not university. You know, I I was playing with a, a friend that I somebody I befriended by the name of Danny Smith. And Danny and I formed a little duo and played, you know, the beer joints and everything mm-hmm. like that. And we played as many original music, uh, as, as many original songs as we thought we could get away with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and what really was probably the the nail in my coffin was the fact that people would come in, uh, you know, regularly, and then they'd request that song, yeah, like a song you had written, yeah. and it, and then you make the further connection that. Hey, somebody remembers something I wrote. Yeah, that's really neat. And so I just uh, started writing in, uh, in earnest, probably my sophomore year of college. Uh, of college. And uh, then uh, when I graduated college, uh, I knew I knew my wife Jamie. I mean, we were friends. We both went to the same high school, uh, Johnson High, there in Thunderbolt. But we were just friends. But uh, the the day after I graduated from Georgia Southern, she showed up at my folks' house on Tybee. She was she and a friend were actually coming by to visit my mom, and uh, I opened the door and I I went, man, there's why have you never why have you never asked this this sweet gal out? And uh, of course I was no catch, but I, you know <laughs> what the heck, you know that's the other beauty about being young. Is you're fearless. That's right. So I, I called her, and that was uh, June 27th of 1980, and we've been together ever since. It ain't working, my darling, because as hard as you may try, you keep hearing the words you told me, and never a man's goodbye. You know that you're just one step from another one being gone. I've seen them all unravel Cause I've been watching you all along Now were you playing Did I read a story once You were playing clubs and stuff so, Oh yeah So you were playing up in Atlanta okay. I was playing in Atlanta And that's and where someone from Was it uh, Was it Noble Vision Noble Records? Vision Records right Yeah So they, yeah, s- they actually bit. signed you right To a, like a deal yeah, or something Well Yeah they did uh, They were the only ones that knew they, That I had a record deal uh, <laughs> But uh Anyway, that that's that's a great that's a great point though, Jimmy, because uh, there were people in my life that I think thought you you know you you need to pursue the mm-hmm. artist thing. Why I don't know, but they did, and I never once had any interest in it at all. All I ever wanted to do was write songs. Wow, and of course I'm very blessed to get to go out and play some of those songs, but I never had any preconceptions about, you know, you're the artist. It's more about creating the art and and handing it off. Right, and and just the anonymity that comes with being a songwriter is just a beautiful thing. You don't have to ride on the the buses or in the vans anymore. You get to stay at home. You get to lead a very normal life, and you get to, um, you know, be utterly nondescript other than the fact that if you get lucky enough to have something on the radio, you can take pride in that, but nobody knows... To this day, it's like I didn't know you you wrote that. But you guys signed this, this deal, Noble Vision Records. <laughs> I'd never heard of them either. But 
But they, you put out, you create a record, yeah. and you put it out, and it got distributed pretty widely. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was there again. It's just one of those things you just can't, you can't make up. So it had to have happened, uh, and uh, yeah, this was before we moved to Nashville. Uh, I played with my band in Atlanta, and this gentleman came out, and he said he was working with this artist by the name of Jim Glaser. Yeah. And uh, I knew of Glacier because of the Glacier Brothers were the background vocals for, uh, you know, Marty Robbins. And, and then uh, they had records out of their own. They were doing it. When the, the day I met him or the time I met him, they, were, they had a song out called uh, Love and Her Was Easier Than Anything I'll Ever Do Again. The Glacier Brothers did. It was about that same time. And that was a Chris Christopherson song. Again, somebody mm-hmm. else wrote what mm-hmm. somebody else was doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, uh, I wound up submitting, like he gave me an address and I sent some songs. And the next next thing I know, uh, he said, yeah, we're going to do three of these on Jim's first solo record. That's right. Yeah. And one of them was the title track, Man in the Mirror. Uh, Funny, years later, when Michael Jackson recorded a song of the same name and Everybody I knew thought that was my song. Tony and Rod right now. Oh, man, people were, calling, people were calling me, hey, you know. Congratulations. Gonna, yeah, that's great, man. I, we're thinking about buying this house over here. You, can you, you know, spot me a few? Uh, but, uh, no. yeah, that was just one of those things that uh, I, you, again, didn't go out in pursuit of. It just, it just happened. And uh, Jim was one of the greatest singers that ever, ever drew breath. And again, we were talking earlier about uh, how great singers just get better with time, and, and, and that was certainly the case with Jim. Uh, and I was so grateful to have those songs recorded. And then uh, Jim got signed to MCA Records, and because I was part of the fold, I got signed to MCA Records, and that started a whole nother ball of wax. It's like I, I didn't, like I said, nobody knew I was on MCA, but... You know, I did. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I did my research. Uh, that's story. great. Thank you, Jimmy. But uh, there again, I, I just was in, uh, I remember going and recording that record, and I've met, I met some lifelong friends that played on that record, and they wound up doing songs of mine later as producers. Mm-hmm. But when I met them at the time, I literally was embarrassed. I was like, I, I haven't done anything to earn being in the, you know, I don't deserve being in the same room with James Stroud playing the drums or Don Potter playing the guitar. I just, you know, I knew them. I knew what they had played on. I knew who they were and I knew what they had done. And, and they were just hired guns for me. They'd have played for anybody. Yeah, it's very helpful. And that, but I just, I, that wasn't that wasn't at all what I wanted to do. And thankfully that all went asunder. And of course, we waited till everything fell apart before we moved to Nashville. Uh, so all the connections were lost, and uh, which was probably, in retrospect, the, the greatest thing that, that could have happened. Um, I wound up going to the open mic, uh, the Sunday Night Rider show you have to audition for at the Bluebird. Yeah, did it. Yeah. Yep. And you have to audition. Yep. And I played, I'll never forget it as long as I live, Amy Curlin, the owner yep. of the Bluebird, was sitting there, and her dear friend, Janice Ian. Wow. So you're playing, this is who you're playing wow. for. And, uh, you know, I finished my, I finished my little thing, my, my little audition, and I go back, and Amy goes, what are you doing here? And I said, what are you talking about? And she held up my MCA record. And she oh, said, wow. you don't have to audition for this. She said, what are you doing here? Wow. And I said, I said, if you don't mind, I said, I'm starting over. Hmm. And she went, fair enough. And she gave me a date. And I went back and, and did the Sunday Night Rider yeah. show and started from, from the, started from where everybody else starts wow, as me. it should be. Yeah. And so uh, it, and so I just started over as a songwriter. Yeah. And that's that was my introduction to, you know. Here I am. Here I am. I'm every liar hearing that burn you just like a brand. Here I am. That's consistent with my impression of you and always has been you're an extremely humble guy and 
Um, you've never, you, I would never perceive you to be one that says, hey, I deserve to just skip, to go oh, past this in the line. You, I'm sure. You've always been humble, and, um, but, but I'm not sure I would have been that humble. I would, I'm hey, like, say, hey. yeah, I'll, I'll skip it. I'll take a, you know, extra well, line. You know, but I'm impressed by that. That's pretty cool. No, well, it was, it was legitimate. It, it, it was the fact that I wanted, if I was going to earn any reputation in Nashville, yeah. I wanted it to be as a songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. And not not as anything else. And I knew what I was up against, even having that pipe dream, which was insane. Right. I mean, when I moved there, you know, I, I, we'll, I'll be telling you some people who were very prominent at the time who, uh, you go, yeah, you, yeah, you're in good company. They really need you, pal. <laughs> Thank God you're here. We, we yeah. need more songwriters. Yeah, we, we need more songwriters because we don't have enough with Bobby Braddock and Harlan Howard over here. We just, you know, we're running a little short. But there again. Um, but that's, 80, that's 86. 86. 86. And, and so you're, you're in town and you're just trying to figure it out like everybody else, trying to play open mics and make connections and, and write songs. And, but Tony, four years later... The dance comes out. Only four years. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, I mean, I mean uh, that connection with Garth when he's young and coming up through was was it's a magical connection. But but outside looking in, you know, Nashville's known as a ten year town. And, sure. And but eighty six, you're in there and you're you're at the Sunday night Bluebird thing, and then four years later, this massive thing happens with this song. Did that, how did you, how did that, how did you react to that? Did, did, was it, did you have to get by yourself and, and kind of process what was happening or what was going on? That's, that's probably the greatest part about it all is the, um, so I, I did mention that I, I went to Georgia Southern because as, as sure as I was unknown to the MCA stable, I, I probably was unknown to the fact that I actually went to Georgia Southern because I never went to class. And so when they handed me a diploma, it was, wow. <laughs> thanks. You know, thanks, Dad. You, you know, uh, but anyway, so my degree was in journalism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I had never, I didn't learn, a, I didn't learn anything about journalism or writing or, or constructing a sentence or anything in college. It was only, in, you know, so when I got out, I had a degree, but I didn't know how to do anything. So when we moved to Nashville, I, just real quick, I, I, my, Jamie, my beloved, was the brains of the outfit. She got us there, and she kept us there, and she kept the lights on. And she's, she has an MBA. She, she went to work, got a job, and uh, used her brains and, and, and worked, you know, harder than anybody I've ever known, uh, and I used my skill set, which was lifting heavy things, having played in bands, and I went to work for UPS, uh, loading loading trucks, and uh, I'd go in early and I'd write articles for their company magazine hmm. so that I could build up a portfolio, which I did not ever earn in the four years of college. Hmm. So I, I wound up getting all these human interest stories, and then I'd go load trucks, and then I'd go home and I'd type them up and I'd submit them to the Big Idea, which is their magazine. So I wound up getting a bunch of articles printed, and then, then I had a byline. You know, It's like it says yeah. your name, and here's the story, and it's actually printed. I really can, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so I used that and got my first job uh, behind a desk actually working in journalism. I went to work for a trade publication there in Nashville. And the whole reason for this long story is the fact that you ask what it's like four years after the dance, and, and then it's, you know. So here's how worlds collide. The trade magazine dealt with buses. And so I was literally, and I was assistant, I had worked my way up to being assistant editor of this thing called the Bus Operator Magazine. I didn't know any, you know. The I'd loaded trucks. The bus I figured Operator they, Magazine? Uh, bus Operator. Bus Operator. Yeah. And they were with a huge, public, a huge uh, association out of Washington, D.C. called the American Bus Association. So we were printing all their, their stuff. 
And I worked my way up to be an assistant editor or something. I was doing an interview. Now, you want to talk about how worlds collide and what's it really like and how do you process this? All right, here's how you process it. I'm on the phone, and I still remember his name. His guy's name was Chuck Garcia. He was head of R&D or something with Detroit Diesel Allison. And they were introducing a new motor for, I don't know if it was for Eagle or, or for Prevo or whoever, whatever they were sticking these, these engines in and transmissions. So I'm doing an interview with him. And the phone rings, the other line rings. And, I, and the young lady who was uh, the receptionist said, it's somebody from the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. And so I, I put Chuck on hold, and I go, hello, and it's the head of, the, of Neris, and they're telling me that the dance has been nominated for a Grammy, uh, and it'll be held in New York. And I, I'm like, that is, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to have to call you back. And so I, I, I went to the other line and finished my interview with Chuck Garcia wow. of Detroit Diesel. And so when Jamie and I... So the song had gone on and, and had you know had had done all this. But I was still working. You still. I was still working on my bus thing, and worked for years after that, after the dance, wow. and after a lot of these other songs. We'll talk about. It. I mean, I just there again I, to anybody who ever considered wanting to be a songwriter, the 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 greatest bit of advice I could ever give them would be find some way to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And uh, and meet you're going to meet a lot of other people in other lines of work that you're not going to meet at the coffee pot with a bunch of other songwriters. Yeah, right. And that's in essence what you're supposed to be doing is reporting on real life. Yeah. And uh, most of the songwriters I know make up real life. Yeah. You know, not necessarily live it; they just make it up. Yeah. And uh, so I've I've made lifelong friends working for this company that had wow. no, absolutely nothing to do with uh, with music whatsoever wow. um, and so that was and so it was a great lesson for me uh, to tell people there is no lifestyle you have to lead there is no there's no persona you have to adopt there is you know if you're paying your bills you get to stay in Nashville longer is yeah. the only way yeah. I look at it you're listening to a song can change your life with special guest Tony Arada. But you hit that in 90. I'm curious as to know that, that that had to have opened up some doors now where people are looking at other songs within your catalog, et cetera, to where. Well, you would are think. Easier, maybe? You would think. Uh, but the, only, the way I describe it is they were just a little slower to say no uh, because a lot of people missed the dance. You know what I mean? They, you know, it had been turned down by everybody. Yeah. So they were a little less quick to just outright reject your song but uh, I I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it one more time I'd, I'd have the same number of songs if with or without any of the uh, of the success or accolades mm-hmm. or chart positions that I've had because that's what that. you if you write songs that's what you do I believe that about you you're you know and I was going to ask you this because the the what Nashville is now, or what the what what country and what pop songwriting is now, regardless of w- what part of the country it's in, um, so much of it feels like a factory, and that they're pushing out inventory as quickly as possible. But the but the depth of a lot of music I hear doesn't seem to have what I hear in a lot of your 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 music. Um, and you mentioned seeing uh, Kevin Welch in Nashville, and he sort of. Maybe consciously or subconsciously gave you permission to say, "I don't, I don't have to be clever. I just got to write something honest and good." And that's and that's what the dance is. And um, well, it opened, yeah, and it really did. That opened up a, a a whole new way of looking at it. And if you take a look at a lot of the songs that Garth did over the years, they weren't necessarily uh, well, they weren't hits. But he's always been a believer in. Albums and they have a there's a there's a slot we need you know they, they each have a their own little chapter to tell in this whole book so he he might have come looking for something that was a little quirky mm-hmm. uh, and uh, when you talk about 
you know, I, I, I'd be remiss without saying this. If you want to talk about uh, anyone who's ever dared show any humility, uh, that that would have to be, you know, he's the he's the king of that. Mm. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that anybody uh, expected him to do what he did. He did, mm-hmm. and I believe uh, that. Uh, but he is still the same guy. I mean, and I've known him for what thirty four years, hmm. and uh, to every person that knows him would say the same. He's just, he's just that guy, and uh, he he knows he's uh, he's smart enough to know that not only did he work to get himself here, but a lot of other people helped get him right. there and he's he's never forgotten anybody and he's always been a and more than anything he's just always been a good guy yeah you know which uh, you can't say enough about uh, and some of the songs that he he chose to do I guarantee you nobody else would I don't know that anybody else would have found because he's cut seven or so of yours yeah. Right? Um, yeah that's pretty cool yeah. well and they're very and they went on to take on a life of their own. Right. Apart, they weren't on the radio, right. but they they went on to take a you know on a life. And when I go out and play, uh, I do some of those songs. And those fans that are fans of Garth know those songs. Sure. And so uh, it's it's really it's really neat to uh, over the years. You, I just uh, figured that. I wasn't necessarily a hit writer. I, I just I wasn't trying to write what I thought would sound good on the radio. You were just trying to write good songs. I was just trying to write the best thing. You yeah. you you go with it, and you and that's why a lot of the songs were written by myself. I because it's one thing to waste your own time <laughs> on an idea, but to waste somebody else's you know days in days on end uh, that just is. That's just not fair. Well, that, to me, that's, that's and I've heard that before from you. That's that's the best advice I would give any songwriter, is don't try to write a hit song. Just try to write a good song. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah, I um, you know, I, I don't I don't know who said. It. I've always attributed it to Tom T. Hall. He said so much great stuff and wrote so many great songs. But you know, this whole idea of not writing things down, you know. It's like just because you write it down on a piece of paper doesn't necessarily mean that it's worth remembering. All that to say that I, I think great songs you remember not because they're in a book or uh, you know them by heart. Because you, you live with them. They, yeah. grew, they grew up inside of you. Right. Yeah. And the, and over and over and over again, you're refining and sandpapering it. And yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, so get me from, that's around 1990. So the song I want to talk about today, this A Song Can Change Your Life and and this one we're about to talk about has changed mine. I know it's changed yours, changed Patty Loveless's life, and and lots of people. And it, um, and there's another Notre Dame connection. I'll tell you about in a second with it. But um, is this uh, here I am, which went number one for Patty Loveless? Um, I'd like to know where where that song came from, sort of the idea behind it, and then how it got cut. You know, it that came out in '94, right? Yeah, and, I, and I think November again of '94. Uh, interestingly enough, that was my first year at Notre Dame. And I wasn't a country music fan, but I remember that song. And I remember that, that might have been my first introduction to Patty, was hearing her voice going, wow, that's, that's cool. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, boy, that's a really well-written song. Well, and there again, I, as I said, I, I went to see Kevin and I, I came home and sat down in that little room before I, uh, I went to UPS and down there in the laundry room. And and wrote that song was written very quickly, hmm. uh, and I met immediate resistance because the chorus changes. Every, yeah, yeah, every chorus and, is different a little bit. Yeah, and uh, the bridge. They said we don't. Nobody writes a bridge that long. And, <laughs> Darling, I got over you pissing me over long. And my pride was stronger when I was younger. Now I would rather have you know. 
So it was just immediate resistance, but I figured I was on to something because, uh, you know, uh, that was written not, not long after the dance. Um, and, uh, but it took seven years for Patty to do it. And uh, so it was 87 wow. to 94, yeah. And, uh, and it was turned down again and again and again. Uh, and an interesting aside about that song is you, I, I value the, and I'm, I'm very grateful, eternally grateful to, to the great artists that have taken a chance and have done some of my songs over the years. But the greatest gift of all to me was getting to know them as people and getting to call them friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, yes, I'm very grateful for all that, that, that Garth uh, made possible. But I, I value, I, I, I love him I, I don't, and, and Trisha. You know, I, they're, they're special in their own right, not because they're artists. I don't even, right. I can't think of them like right. that. And the, and the same with Patty. Uh, uh, I got to know Emery. Her husband, Emery, Emery Gordy, Gordy, and one of the greatest producers uh, Emery, ever. Emery, for our people who don't know, worked with Elvis and El oh yeah, yeah <laughs> all that, of that guy, yeah, <laughs> and with Emmylou Harris, and uh, uh, great, great musician, great string arranger, great songwriter, you know, this phenomenal guy. But you know, he told me in later years, he said, you know, the crazy part about it is we never cut that as a single. I mean, when you do an album, we go, all right, we've got our three singles. And then you've got the other songs that make up the album, but you don't ever consider them being a hit. There's no background vocals on Here I Am. and mm -hmm. uh, It's very sparse, and it was meant to be an album cut, and it wound up being a, a very big song for Patty yeah. just because it, it somehow made a connection with, with people. And, well, her, number one, her delivery of it is phenomenal. It's a great delivery. Tell me, though, where... Because it's a song I interpret it as, it's like, uh, it's 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 love, attraction for someone that that won't give up. Oh no! That, and that's 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 funny that you mentioned that because earlier when I talked about the anonymity of being a songwriter, I I really do remember being in a convenience store, uh, and these. Ladies in front of me, this song was big on the at the time. Here I am was, <laughs> and they were, and it was on the radio or in the music, whatever it was. They were, it was playing in the store, and I'm just standing there, and they're talking about the song, and they love Patty, but they said I'm just, she shouldn't have taken him back, you know, <laughs> and so they're mad that at the end of the song, that no at the end of the song, it's like I don't care what you've done, I still love you. And they were just furious about that. And I, I remember just standing there going, you know, hey. Uh, That's great. And, but I, That's because great. they didn't know who had written it, uh, you were safe just to listen in on the conversation. It is a surprise ending sort of when you, if you, if you don't know the song and you're reading through it and you're listening through it. And, um, and, and then, you know, that, that last uh, verse and chorus, all right, coming out of the bridge, and honey, I got over you. I got over you passing me over a long time ago, and my pride was stronger when I was younger. Now, now I'd rather, rather have you to know that yeah. here I am, here I am. I still carry a flame for you, burning me like a brand. Here I am. Yeah. Well, and uh, it's just one of those uh, moments where you just were listening when you when you actually said something you you did need to write down or you did need to remember, and uh, that song has has meant so much to me. Uh, and you think think about this. I mean, I, I wrote it in '87. Wrote it on this guitar right here, hmm. my old Alvarez, which is the only guitar I had when we moved to Nashville outside of uh, uh, Jamie's old guitar. And uh, and then you fast forward, how many years? I don't I don't even know. Sitting at uh, a venue here in Atlanta in Alpharetta. Yeah, 2015. You and I are playing together with our Home by Dark live show, and Patty and Emery and Emery come to the show, and Patty comes up with Emery and sings "Here I Am" yeah. with you next to me. I'm sitting next to you, and I, Patty's there. I never met Patty before, and she's singing this song that that means a lot to me. It certainly means a lot to you and to her. 
at this thing that how, how that even started the Home by Dark story was because out of sort of a business failure that, that sort of led to trying to do songwriter shows. And, um, and yet, you know, connecting to this song in 94 when I was going to business school and now I'm on a stage with Patty, with you, I mean, all that stuff is you can't make it up, right? No. And it's and then the song itself is so powerful and meaningful. Um, that's another. Well, and there moment. again, you know, there, that just gets back to that whole thing of well, how did you do? I, I didn't do any of that. I mean, it just there are things that just take on a life of their own, and, right. and that's where they play out. When we first moved to Nashville, I mean, she was just starting to break. Uh, she did a great Dallas. Uh, Oh, gosh, now I'm going to draw a blank on his name. Dallas Frazier. Uh, if My Heart Had Windows. I mean, that was like her first big hit. And I went, golly, Moses, what a voice. Yeah. And I've, I've always said, you know, that, that, that she could sing anything, and it'd be great. And, and to have someone you have that much respect for that you've known and you've listened to her records and, and uh, the stuff she and Emery did, you know, how can I help you say goodbye and things like that, and you hear that and you go, and then have her do a song, and then she wound up doing a lot of other songs after, after Here I Am. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think the world of her, I, I always will. And she's now, now a Georgia girl, you know. That's she, right. She lives in Dallas. And didn't she, she and didn't she, if I got the story right, didn't she ask you when the song had been a hit, didn't she ask you to come sing with her in concert oh, one yeah, time? She did. Sing that song? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> so, I, yeah, she was on Epic Records at the time, and uh, I got, Here I Am was huge. And uh, so I got asked by Emery, and not by Emery, but by Doug Johnson, who was running, or who was helping run Epic Records at the time, to ride over on the bus to see Patty play in Knoxville, Tennessee. With uh, she was opening for Vince Gill, and she started her concerts with Handful of Dust, which Another one she, of your songs, yeah. she wound up cutting. So I'm standing backstage, and and uh, but when they asked me to do this, I. I rode over on the bus with all these big wigs, and when we get there, Patty comes up and actually gives me the invitation to come up and sing. I didn't know what, I didn't have any idea. And I jokingly, you know, I've told it a thousand times. I said, man, I, I'd had just enough beer on the ride over. I thought, <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> right there, Patty. I knew you were a thinking woman. And uh, so I wound up on stage in front of, I don't know how many thousands of people at the Knoxville, you know, Civic Arena. And, uh, it was, you know, it was a moment that I lived through. That's about as much as I can say. I'll never forget it. And as she <laughs> later said she wouldn't forget it either. And as proof of that, I've never been asked back to sing with Patty. But one, yeah. one and done. One and done. I, I heard more than enough. I wouldn't want to. We we'll couldn't call top, you. Yeah, we couldn't top that. So we're gonna leave it there. You're listening to a song can change your life with special guest Tony Arada. We've been dear friends over the years. I mean, I think the world of her and Emery and, and like I said, uh, getting to know people on a completely different level, you know, and uh, it has been a beautiful thing. And, and you meet them through songs, you mm -hmm. know. I didn't meet them because I went and knocked on their door. It just, it just happened. It just happened to be. I'm sitting here with you. I, I don't even know. I don't, I don't really remember how it all came to pass. You asked me. I got a phone call from you, I think. No, I met you at the Bluebird. Oh. I met you at the Bluebird. I, I did the early show. You were doing a late show, and we have a mutual friend, Jesse Terry, that knew you. And That's right. He, Jesse said, because I was, I, I certainly heard you and knew, knew of you, but Jesse said, he's a great guy. Go talk to him. And so, you know, asked you to come down to Alpharetta area and come play some shows, a show with a couple shows. And um, without hesitation, I, I'll never forget it because, you could have easily said no. I mean, not, especially not knowing me and not knowing what we do with our live show. You could have easily said, but you quickly said, yeah, just tell me when and I'll be there. And I'll never forget that, Tony. And it's, um, it's so meaningful, nah. you know, because in part, you know, you gave, you gave us credibility you know, on many levels. And, um, and the reason I love this, what we're doing now with the song Can Change Your Life is, is songs are so powerful in that, they, they, they give us a sense of place, a sense of history, 
and then the sense of relationships that we have with people. And so here I am, when I hear this song, I can hear it now, whether you sing it or Patty sings it, um, I'm transported to when I first heard it, uh, going, to, going to grad school, and I'm transported to that evening in Alpharetta, Georgia, at, and hearing Patty five feet from me, and me, you, me and you sit next to each other hearing that song. Um, it's a, it's, I'm so grateful. I mean, oh. I'm, so, I'm just so grateful. Well, likewise, likewise, Jimmy, and I, I um, <laughs> you, you, it is most aptly said that a song can change your life. I mean, I, I remember riding back, uh, riding shotgun in a van full of equipment with a bunch of other guys and uh, riding back from Hilton Head to um, Savannah. And... Dear friend, bass player, uh, great songwriter, Timmy Burke, putting in an eight-track cassette. You know, now I'm really dating myself, but it was an eight-track <laughs> sure, of Luxury Liner. And it was, uh, you know, Emmy Lou's first big breakout record. And uh, so <laughs> I fell in love with her immediately upon hearing that. And then you, you fast-forwarded and seeing one of the last shows Jamie and I went to before we moved to Nashville was her at a place called Stonehenge in Savannah with the hot band. And we were the first people through the door. I was, I was just all in on Emmy. And uh, the bass player was Emery Gordy. Wow. And, you know, who all those years later you would come to know on a completely different level. Yeah. And uh, to have had songs recorded by over the years, to have had Emmylou do some songs. Yep. And then add to that, uh, Luxury Liner is known, you know, that's like the barn burner of barn burners, and it's Albert Lee playing the electric guitar. And then in years later, Patty did a song uh, called You Don't Even Know Who I... Not, you, no, no, excuse me. That's somebody else. I wish I'd have written that one. <laughs> uh, uh, nobody Here By That Name. And... Uh, it's a song I wrote with Pete Wozner, and hmm. Albert Lee plays the guitar. So you talk about a song changing life. I mean, I can't hear Luxury Liner that I don't. I, I'm not transported back to that, and uh, can't hear if my you know if my heart had windows. Uh, and the best part about songs, to me, Jimmy, is that you go, all right, hell, man, what are the twelve notes? There's 26 letters. We got to run out at some point. We're going to have to hit the end of this trail. You never do. And uh, to this day, I'll turn on the radio and I'll go, man, that was a low-hanging fruit. Surely I could have seen that one. Right. But you didn't. But right. somebody else did. Yeah. And they got it. And they got all of it. And they put it out there for you to enjoy. And I, I hear them every day. And uh, I... I guess that's that's been one of the hardest things of all. Um, I made somebody. I was telling somebody the other day. I said, I don't know if Don McLean knew how prescient he was. You know, it feels like the day the music died. I mean, it's like you know, mid March last year, mm -hmm. just everything ended. Mm -hmm. And it has been music that has sustained me through mm. you know sure. this whole this whole affair and. Uh, and you you hit the nail on the head. It, it marks everything, you know. It it marks you in time as to where you were and when and what you were when you heard that song. Yeah. Uh, this one of the last shows I went to in October was Billy Joel at Madison Square mm -hmm. Garden, mm -hmm. and our early days as a married, you know, as newlyweds, and to be, uh, the, you know, the stranger never came off the turntable at our little yeah. apartment yeah. and hearing that and then sitting in Madison Square Garden with that same gal and hearing, you know, scenes from an Italian restaurant. I mean, you know, if I'd have died right then, which I almost did trying to get to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> later on, you know. It it's almost like seems impossible, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I mean, I mean the, you with can't. The billions of people on the planet, it, with, 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 with that these connections happen, um, ultimately, ultimately, life. Someone told me is about is simply about people and relationships. But some of this glue that connects us is, is songs. Oh, and it's such a powerful thing. And, and you 
have written some of those songs that have done that for me. And so getting to do this today has been such an honor. Oh, I'm yeah. so grateful to you and your friendship. And, and, I, and I agree with you. My, my, my friendship with you supersedes everything else. It's just, it's about, it's about the relationship. And so thank you for making the trek to Alpharetta. Thank you for writing some, so many of these songs that have impacted me, for songs that have changed my life, and, and especially here I am today. And um, I love you, Tony Rod, and I'm grateful for you. And, uh, Jimmy, you so like much. I said, I'll start the way, I mean, I'll end the way I started. I knocked on the door back there, and a friend answered it. Nah. And I'll never forget it, and I love you too, my love friend. Too. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for having me. All right, see you. That here I am for listening to A Song Can Change Your Life, coming to you from the Black Box at the Alpharetta Art Center. Our special guest has been Tony Arata. To learn more about Tony, go to TonyArata.com. Our audio engineer is Jerry Knable. Our production coordinator is Jacob Davis-Martin. Our production assistants are Aiden Miller and Matthew Smoltz. A Song Can Change Your Life is a Home by Dark production and brought to you by the city of Alpharetta, Georgia, Fulton County Arts and Culture, the Fulton County Board of Commissioners, and Arts Alpharetta. My name is James, and I hope you'll join us next time on A Song Can Change Your Life.